Uh, this morning we are closing out a series that we've been in for eight weeks called Encounters with Jesus. And we're looking at Jesus and the busy. And if you think about our culture, we are saturated with busyness and distraction. I know the other day I was in the sauna at the gym. And I looked around the room and looked around the sauna and everybody was on their phone. Which I don't even think is safe in the heat of the sauna room. But everybody was on their phone, and it was a little bit sad to look around in that moment, except for this one guy who was sitting next to me. It was kind of awesome because the guy had the earbuds in, and he was listening to music. And you know those times where somebody's listening to music so loud that it feels like you have the earbuds on? And you can hear every word of the song, and it was one of those moments, and he was listening to some old-school Will Smith rap. And he was into it. I mean, he had his bob in his head. He had the head roll going at times. And he was just counterclockwise, clockwise. You know, he's just doing the whole thing. And it was all kind of sad. It was, that was a little awesome. But it was all kind of sad to think about, even in the sauna at the gym, we are distracted and busy. I mean, just think about your life. Think about the moments in your life. Think about the moments in your week. How many moments this week did you have that were void of distraction? So no technology, no multitasking, none of that. Moments where you just had yourself, your life, and God. And you had those clarifying thoughts of who you are, who God is. What do we do with all that? Have you had those moments this week? Have you had those moments this past month? Have you had one of those moments this past year? I mean, just think about your life and your stress level and your distraction and your busyness. What does that look like in your life? I think for our day, for many in this room, busyness and distraction is the number one barrier between you and a growing relationship with God. I mean, that's just the kind of culture we live in today. It's that serious, and Jesus addresses it. Look Luke 10, 38 through 42, what Samson just read, we see Jesus address the busy heart. And that's where we're headed this morning. If you look at the text, do that with me. Verse 38 and 39, we're introduced to two sisters, Martha and Mary. Jesus is entering a village. He visits their home, and they have two different responses to him. Look at verse 39. It tells us that Mary simply sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But verse 40, there's a contrast. It tells us that Martha, the other sister, was distracted with much serving. And so as we get into this, I want to give a couple disclaimers. The first disclaimer is that Jesus is not endorsing laziness. Jesus is not endorsing laziness. We're going to talk about busyness and doing a lot of things and how that's not good. But I want you to see it clearly. Jesus is not endorsing laziness. He's not telling us just don't do anything. Like, the, the application today is not just have a quiet time all day, every day, at the beach, get up at noon. That's not the application. Sorry to disappoint many of you. All right? so Jesus is not endorsing laziness, and we see that, and we know that from the rest of Scripture. He talks about um, gifts, and we see in other places in Scripture, gifts like hospitality and service. We see Jesus specifically in the book of Mark illustrates this well. He uses this word immediately all the time, that immediately Jesus gets up and goes to another spot. 
And so you see in all the Gospels, specifically in Mark, it's a book of action. Jesus is working hard, doing a lot of stuff. We see it in the life of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. After he lists out all the things he was doing, he said, I worked harder than anybody. So Jesus is not endorsing laziness. That's disclaimer one. Disclaimer number two is Jesus is not endorsing a personality type. Some commentators who've read this, some of you may read this and think, well, well, Martha, she was more type A, task-oriented, got stuff done. And then Mary, she was more of a people person, relational, her quality uh, time was her lo- love language. And you just really have two different personality types. But, and that may be true, but Jesus isn't making the point that one personality type is better than the other, right? And so some of these things we see, laziness, personality types in this passage, that's not really the point. And so we have to ask, what is what is? What is Jesus trying to teach us in this story? If you're taking notes, you can write these three things down. I think we learn from Jesus that there's a myth of busyness, there's a root of busyness, and there's a better way for all of us to proceed today. And so first, the, first the myth of busyness. Luke 10, 38 through the first part of verse 40, you see that. In verse 40, you see this word, distracted. Notice it doesn't just say Martha was working hard or doing a lot. It says she was distracted. In other words, she's not able to focus on Jesus. I mean, you just picture this. You have the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in your house for dinner. Can you imagine what it would be like to have Jesus come over for dinner? And Martha is distracted with much serving. She's not focusing on Jesus. She's not listening to Jesus. She's not getting to know Jesus because she was distracted with much serving. So the myth that Jesus exposes is this, that busyness equals devotion. Busyness equals devotion. You see, many of us, if we would have been in that house, we might have looked at Martha scurrying around, serving so much, and we might have thought, man, she is really devoted to Jesus. And we might have looked at Mary and thought, privately, maybe we wouldn't have said it, but privately, like, when is she going to get up and do something? Lazy? I mean, goodness, does she know Jesus is sitting right there? Like, get up. Act like you're doing something, at the very least. That if we were in that house, we may have responded that way. And that we do that in our culture today. Even if you're here and you're not a Christian, there's ways in life where we associate busyness with devotion. And so if somebody works really, really hard at their job, we think, well, they must love their job. They must be really honing in on their craft. If somebody spends a lot of time and is just really busy with their family, we think, man, they must have a really tight-knit family. They must be really devoted to their family. We see it in the church. We see people who do a lot of stuff, and we think, man, they must really love Jesus. They must really be devoted to Jesus. And what this text is teaching us is not necessarily, not necessarily, that it's possible that our busyness doesn't equal devotion but distraction. And listen, we live in a world where there is more opportunity for distraction than at any point in history. I mean, you just look at technology. You just think about the internet. The internet wasn't widely available to the public until the early 90s. I want you to consider these stats. 1993, there was about 130 websites total in the universe. 
130 websites. Some of you are thinking, I visit that many in a week. And that's right, you would have run out. Browsing didn't have the same meaning back then. It had a cap to it. You couldn't, you could only browse so much. We went from 130 in 1993 to today we have almost a billion websites. Getting close to a billion. That little thing called the Google, maybe you guys have heard of that, was founded in 1998. Some of you you who are freshmen in college, congratulations, you share a birthday with Google. So happy birthday for that. Before you guys were born, if that's you, nobody ever Googled anything. Like nobody knew what that phrase meant. Can you imagine a culture? Can you imagine a society where we don't say Google something, where it almost seems like a cuss word, like don't say that in this house. Like, nobody would have even understood what that meant before you were born if you're a freshman in college. Facebook was created in 2004. YouTube, 2005. Instagram, 2010. That much of what is normal for us now has been developed in the last 10 to 20 years. Do you even think about that? Or does it seem that the way we're operating now has always been? For some of you guys that are freshmen in college, it is. <laughs> but there was a time that there, these things didn't exist. Here's what that means. You are the guinea pigs for this type of technology, for this type of distraction. In all of history, you're the guinea pigs. So we don't even know what this does to us. <laughs> I mean, I think arthritis maybe. I think our focus. I think some other things. But we fully don't realize how much we're distracted because we're the guinea pigs in this technological age. You think about cell phones, you could get one in the 90s, but it would have cost you $4,000. And you had to put it in a mini suitcase between your seats, right? Do you remember that? It was like a brick, holding a brick next to your head. The first text message was sent in 1992. It was Merry Christmas. In 2010, the world sent over 6.1 trillion text messages. Today, according to Pew Research, nearly two-thirds of American adults have a smartphone of some kind. And it's not just adults. One study showed 53% of kids get a cell phone when they're six years old. I have a six-year-old daughter. She's not getting a cell phone until she's 30 years old, right, if I have anything to do with that. Cell phones are taking over. Cyber, a cybersecurity company called Lookout did a study, really interesting. I'm sure there's others. But this one said that 68% don't go one hour without checking their phone. Convicted yet? 74% check it while in bed. 51% check their phone while they're in the bathroom. 36% in a meal with others. 32% while driving, which sounds a little low if you look around on the roads. There's an endless stream of information that can be tapped into at any moment, and it ends up invading every moment. Do you see that? We have more than we've ever had in our history in terms of technology, information, and access. And it can be an amazing thing that we can access at any moment but it can also invade your every moment. Now listen, I'm not saying trash all technology, right? 
Like, there's some things that I don't miss, like paper maps. I don't miss that. I don't miss printing out three to four pages of maps to go somewhere. I don't miss standing outside a gas station when it's cold outside, talking on a payphone. I don't miss that. I don't want to go back to those days. There's tons of ways where all of this technology is helpful, is useful, can even be helpful for the gospel. Right? We have a thing called podcasts. Some of you listen to those. We have a, a Bible app on our phone that we can access the word of God anytime, anywhere, as long as there's Wi-Fi or 3G. Technology can be amazing, and so I'm not going to ask you at the end of the service to come down, bring your phones, we'll do a real uh, spiritual thing, we'll lay all our phones at the altar and burn them. That's not coming, just to let you know. I love technology, I love to text message, I love all those things, Google Maps, I mean, I wouldn't know how to get somewhere if I didn't have Google Maps. I love all those things, but listen, you need to know that sometimes that busyness with this technology cannot lead us to devotion but immense distraction that we can saturate our minds, our hearts, our lives in distraction. Do you see that? And so we see this story of Mary, and she's busy doing a lot of things. We're busy doing a lot of things, but it doesn't always lead to devotion. Maybe some of you would say, well, I'm not that big into technology. You still rocking the flip phone. And we do this in other ways, right? We do this in work. 86% of men work an average of more than 40 hours a week. But most say they still don't have time to get everything done. The average American gets about two hours less sleep than what's recommended. There's an article in the New York Times that was saying that vacation used to be like an off switch. But now it's more like a dimmer switch that we fade down just a little bit because of all the technology, all the distractions, that there's never a time, even on vacation, where we fully unplug. And as you think about your life, does this describe your life? Does it describe your vacations? Does it describe your work? Does it describe your week? Many of us are busy, distracted, and we're saturated in it, whether it's technology, whether it's your job, whether it's the news, whether it's politics. Many of us are saturated in this busyness and distraction. So we want to look at the root of that, and Jesus helps us do that. Look back at the text with me, verse 41. Verse 41, it says, but the Lord answered her. So Jesus answers Martha after she's asked, like, why isn't my sister doing anything? And Jesus says, Martha Martha, that's being emphatic. We can just see that from the English language, but in the original language, that's being very emphatic. He wants to get her attention. So what he's about to say is important. And he says, you are anxious and troubled about many things. So what drives Martha's busyness? It's fear. It's anxiety. It's not that she's just busy doing a lot. It's not that she's just working hard. It's that she's anxious, she's troubled, she's fearful. You just think, what, what could she have been fearful about? Like maybe it's not going to get done if I don't do it. Maybe everybody will think poorly of me. That everyone will be like, that's the girl who when Jesus came over, she left the laundry on the floor. 
that that's the girl that when Jesus came over, there were still toothpaste spots on the mirror. That that's the girl who didn't pick up all the toys. That that's the girl who didn't do all those things. And so she's scurrying around out of anxiety. She's troubled. She's fearful. You see, as we look at our lives, many times our busyness is rooted in fear. It's rooted in fear. And listen, we don't talk about this a lot, but you need to know that Scripture says we have an enemy that seeks to steal from you, that seeks to take from you. And I believe that in our day, that in this time that we live in, with all the technology, with all the opportunity for distraction, that one of the biggest ways that Satan seeks to take from you is distraction. Is distraction. That one of the biggest ways Satan seeks to get at you, it's not all the crazy things you hear about maybe. It's the simple things of if Satan can just keep you from being focused on God, then he wins. If he can just keep you from focusing on your sin, on confession, on prayer, on a quiet moment of solitude where you consider the magnitude of God and your frailty, that if Satan can prevent those moments, those moments in your car, those moments in your bed, those moments at dinner, those moments in the morning, in the evening, if Satan can take those moments from you, that he will prevent you from growing in a relationship with God, from assessing your relationship with God, from investing in his mission while we're on this earth. I believe that. It's a serious, serious epidemic in our culture, and it works itself out in fear. And so we fear things like people. We're scared of what they'll say if I, if I don't host that shower, if I don't do this extra work, if I don't volunteer to coach the team, if I don't bring the cupcakes, if I don't go to this meeting, if I don't meet up with this person. And we're fearful of people that we can't ever rest because we're trying to prove something. We're trying to prove something to our parents, to our siblings, to an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend from a long time ago. We're trying to prove something to ourselves, that little voice in your head that just says, that's not good enough. Uh, That's that's not good enough yet. Keep going. Keep working. And it's not out of a desire to succeed or be efficient or productive. It's out of fear of what other people will say, of what other people will think. There's a fear of failure. We do this in work. Sometimes we overwork because we like to feel useful. Other times we exaggerate how much we overwork because that makes us feel even more useful. We have a fear of failure in our parenting, that we want our kids to be the next Tiger Woods or Bill Gates. And so we enroll them in every activity and every sport known to man, every lesson possible. And there are three. (laughs) I mean, they just need to learn how to use the potty. And we're thinking, no, Bill Gates, what would he do? How was he raised? And we busy ourselves and we busy our kids because we have this fear that if we don't, maybe they'll grow up and they won't go to college. If we don't do this piano lesson twice a week, maybe they'll grow up and they won't make a living like Taylor Swift. But if we do those things, that maybe they will, and I'll be able to retire 
and we have this fear of failure, and it even affects our kids. And so we busy ourselves. We have a fear of missing out. I'm convinced this is why so many of us are addicted to technology and addicted to our phones is because we have this fear that if we don't look at it every five minutes, that maybe we'll miss out. Have you ever fasted from your phone? Have you ever fasted from Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or social media in general? Have you ever fasted from the news? I've done it a couple times, and every time I do it, I always come to the end of that, and I think, I didn't miss much. (laughs) I'm going to miss a few pictures of cats. I missed a couple debates of Donald Trump saying something crazy. I missed a few things, but I really didn't miss that much. And so you can see this in your life when it's got a hold of you and you have a fear of missing out when you forget your phone. Have you ever done that? Have you forgotten your phone? And there's this moment of panic in your life and you just literally you're like you feel naked without it and somebody's like what did you forget the baby and you're like no have you seen my phone like we have these moments of panic that we'll miss out on something and so we we busy ourselves do you do that out of fear we busy ourselves we distract ourselves with all kinds of things maybe it's something else for you What is that? We need to assess what that is and what's at the root of it. There's a pastor in Austin, Texas, who uh, his name's Preston McGee. He said this, too often I'm overwhelmed by life and underwhelmed by God. Overwhelm me with God and underwhelm me with life. How many of us does that describe? How many of you are overwhelmed by life. But you're, if you're honest, you're underwhelmed by God. And how much of that is rooted in fear? Not fear of God, like we talked about a few weeks ago. Not fear of God, fear of everything else in your life. It has you underwhelmed by God, overwhelmed by life. If that's you this morning, Jesus has a better way. We see it in this passage But the first thing I want to point out is just that we should be still. You see with Mary, the other sister, what is she doing? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's listening to his teaching. She's just sitting at his feet. She's still in that moment taking it all in. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. That to really be still, you need to know who God is. Listen, the first thing you need to know about God is that his approval is a a gift. To really be still, you need to know who God is, and you need to know his approval is a gift, that it doesn't need to be earned, that he doesn't accept you because of the sweat on your brow, but the blood of his son. You may hear things like that or say things like that, but do you really believe that? Functionally, if you look at your life, do you really believe that you're accepted completely by the blood of Jesus Christ, not the sweat on your brow, not the busyness that you entertain in your life, not the achievements that you can successfully accomplish, that you're fully accepted and approved by God because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for you? Second, you need to know this about God, that what you're chasing in busyness and distraction is found completely in him. 
So that security that you're chasing, you need to know that God and Jesus is the bread of life. That joy that you're chasing, you need to know that love, his love, is better than life. That peace that you're looking for, that the peace of God transcends all understanding. So don't settle for those things in material things or busyness, the things that we can achieve. Don't settle for a joy, a peace that's artificial. Find it in God. That when you know who God is, you can be still because you can find all those things that you're chasing in busyness. You can find those things in him. Third, Jesus is omnicompetent. Look that up. Jesus is omnicompetent, so we don't need to be, right? Like Jesus knows what he's doing. And so you don't always have to. Jesus has it figured out, so you don't always have to. He is fully capable, equipped, and competent. And you can be still once you realize that. Think about Martha. Is she stressed out? Is she has Jesus over for dinner? Why was, she so, why was she so stressed? I mean, this is the same guy, Jesus, that just a few chapters earlier took a basket of bread and fish and fed 5,000 people. Like, you think he's worried about where dinner is going to come from? I think he's got it figured out. We can be still because we know who God is and we know who we are in him. So how hard is it for you to be still? I want to give you a few practical things that I think will help if it is difficult for you. When do you quiet your soul? I want you to ask yourself that. When are times where you quiet your soul? Some of you, that doesn't mean you literally are still. And so we can get that straight. Some of, sometimes that means you're hiking, you're walking. And for you, that's when you quiet your soul. You don't have to be sitting down to literally be still. What does that look like for you? When are those times for you? Is it morning or is it evening? Is it that chair you sit in or is it walking? Is it hiking? Is it staying at home? Is there a room of your house? Is your backyard? Is it your front, front porch? When are those times, where are those places where you quiet your soul before God? What does that look like for you? I know for me, it looks like a hike and it looks like water, which in Phoenix, those two combined are hard to find. But I split them up, so sometimes I'll go on a hike, and I can see all of creation, and it's quiet, and I can see the sunset, and it's beautiful, and I can walk, and I can think, and I can process things, and I can quiet my soul before God. But it's not just on those hikes. I can go behind my house. We have a pool, and there's a, a fountain with water in it. And so oftentimes, usually on Saturday nights before I'm getting ready to preach, I sit by that fountain and it just quiets my soul. It's just a place for me that works for me. Maybe some of you have a fear of water, and you don't need to go to that place. But you need to find out what works for you. Where is that place? When is that time where you are still before the God of the universe? We need to be still. Another practical thing I'll do is the gym can be a very refreshing, quiet moment for me. But not if I'm checking my email the whole time. And so what I've done recently is I've broken out the old iPod shuffle. You remember those? And I bring that, and I can't check my email on that. I can't check my text messages, and I can't look up random facts on Google. 
and I just listen to music and I listen to sermons. Because I know if I take my phone into the gym, that I come out distracted and busy and I might as well not have even gone. And so I do little things like that. What are those little things that you can put in place in your life where you're still? Maybe it's having a rule that we're not gonna look at the iPhone when we're in bed. We're not gonna look at our phones when we're at dinner. I heard of one family who does this. When they come in the house, they have a basket and everybody, when they enter into the house, they drop their phone in that basket and it doesn't leave there for the rest of the night. And if it does, they have to pay money. It's a decent idea. So think about those things in your life. How can you be still? When you look at scripture, use the real thing. I know we have Bibles on our phone. I know we have them on our iPad, and it's amazing. And sometimes when you can't get to a real thing, that's really helpful. But sometimes use the paper stuff, right? You hear that? Like, use the paper. Like, listen to the paper turn. Have a paper and pen next to you to write down things. Have it to write down things about your schedule that you think of, because you always do. Have it to write down notes. And some of you may be thinking, well, this, Tim, sounds a little legalistic. I mean, I can use my iPad. I can use my phone. And maybe you can. I can't, right? I'm less spiritual than you. I need all the distractions removed. And I would guess at some moments there needs to be some times where you do too, where you just have your Bible, where you just have a paper and pen, that there's some moments where you have just that and nothing else where we're still before God. The second thing is we prioritize and we schedule. Verse 42, Jesus says this. He says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So success, money, things, approval of man, you need to know that all those things can be taken away. They can be taken away today. They will be taken away eventually. The one thing, the good portion that can't be taken away in all of the universe, in all of eternity, is intimacy with your creator, is knowing Jesus Christ. That's eternal life, to know Jesus Christ and God. This is what we're gonna do forever. It's the one thing, if you know Jesus, that can't be taken away. And so what are you investing into? Are you investing only in things that can be taken away or are you investing in the good portion, the one thing, the best thing? And listen, what does your calendar say about that? What does your calendar say? If you look at your calendar and think about your schedule, maybe you would say right now, you would say, well, no, Tim, I love Jesus. I prioritize him and his mission over everything else. But if you looked at your calendar, that's a lot of speech and not a lot of action. It's not scheduled in that you're really, your calendar is more accurate than your voice at that point. That there's ways in which that we don't prioritize Jesus, his mission, and what he's called us to, the one thing, the good portion. We need to prioritize those things in our life. I want you to see this. We talked about it earlier, but Jesus isn't saying you prioritize and then you just don't do anything. Like some of you might be thinking this morning, like, what are some things I can just quit that are hard? Because Tim says I'm too busy. 
Not really, right? We don't need to look at our lives and just think, what's hard? I'm going to cut that out. What's uncomfortable? Quit that. That's not the point of this message is to prioritize and see what's best, what's most important, and are we investing into those things. And maybe there's some other things that aren't best that we need to say no to. And that could be the most spiritual thing you do today is say no to some of those things. But it's not looking through a grid of what's hard and what's easy. It's looking through a grid of what has God called you to, not what just needs to be done. And so you need to ask yourself that question. When you rest, when you spend time with God and you're still before him, after you do that, God, what do you want me to do? So that the question shifts from what needs to be done to what does he want me to do? So we're still, and then we prioritize out of that what God wants us to do. And so this morning, I want to ask you just what would your schedule look like if God was in charge of it? What would your schedule look like if God was in charge of it? How would you invest in your spouse, in your kids, in your church, in Jesus differently if you thought about it that way? If God was in charge of your schedule, how would that change things? Does your schedule reflect your priorities? And some of you are thinking, well, Tim, I can't prioritize. I've tried that exercise because there's too much to do. And listen, you need to start somewhere. My son, who's three years old, loves puzzles. And he's actually getting really good at it. And if you have ever put together a puzzle, you know you dump out all the pieces. And depending on the size of the puzzle and the difficulty, it can be a little bit daunting for a three-year-old. It can be a little bit daunting for a 33-year-old. When I look at all those pieces and I wonder how they fit together, but you know how he's gotten good, my three-year-old? Is we always take a few pieces that have the same color and we start to put those together. We always take the pieces that have the corners and we start to put those in place. And as we begin to do that step by step, we start to see the bigger picture. It starts to take shape because we start somewhere. We take steps it's the same way in your life. Maybe you're looking at your to-do list. Maybe you're thinking about it, and it's rolling through your mind right now. And you're thinking, I don't even know how to prioritize. I don't know what I would say no to. There's too much. Once you've prayed about it, once you've processed it, you need to prioritize. You need to take steps in that direction. Start somewhere. Start piecing the puzzle together and go from there. You don't have to figure it all out today. But you need to start that process where we prioritize and schedule, and we need to create margin and space in the midst of that. How many of you have said these things, maybe even this week? Things like, I'd love to get healthy physically, but I don't have the what? The time. I'd love to spend more time with my kids, but I don't have time. I'd love to spend more time with God and serve people and help others and serve in the church, but I just don't have the time. And listen, you need to make time. You need to create margin. So that means you need to drop a class. Like maybe you need to do that. Not if you're taking six hours. Like don't just go drop a class and tell your parent, your pastor told you to do that. So you can do other things. But if you're taking 15, 18 hours, maybe you need to drop a class. I don't know. We could sit down and look at your schedule. But maybe that would be the result for you. Maybe you need to drop a class. Maybe in your job, you need to have a hard conversation with your boss. Like some of you are thinking, well, no, you can't affect my work. 
I mean, Tim, you, you don't realize how important what it is that I do. I have all these things. Nothing can give. Listen, you need to ask, is it more important than God? Is it more important than your spouse? Is it more important than relationships? Is it more important than serving and investing in this one thing, this good portion, this one thing that's necessary? Is it more important than that? If it's not, it's worth talking to your boss and say, hey, you know, we need to mix my schedule around. And you think, well, no, he would never say yes to that. Have you ever asked him? (laughs) Have you ever broached that subject? Or have you just presupposed in your mind, like, no, he would say no, and he would give me more things to do? Why don't you just try having that conversation? That we need to create margin. The only way that will happen is if it happens, right? If we do it, if we create space in our lives. And so we need to be still. We need to prioritize and schedule off of those priorities. And then the last thing we need to do is trust. We need to trust. And so that means we need to sleep, right? Not right now, but later, right? We need to sleep. You need to go to bed early. You need to take a nap. Do that this afternoon. We need to sleep. We need to take a Sabbath. You need to figure out what that looks like for you. For us, that looks a little bit different because I'm a pastor and I work on Sundays. And so we're honestly, we're still trying to figure the best way to do that. What we are trying right now is Friday afternoons, uh, we do something as a family. Friday night, we rest as a family. Saturday morning, we do the same. And then Saturday, about midday, I go to work on my sermon and prepare for Sundays. That's what it looks like for me. What does your Sabbath look like? Maybe it's Saturday. Maybe it is Sunday. Maybe it's Friday. I don't know your work schedule. You need to figure out how to take a Sabbath and be still before God and trust him with that time. You need to have designated times where you put down your phone and electronics at dinner, in bed, on date nights, whatever those things are. You need to find those times and commit to do that with a friend or commit to do that with your spouse. Why do we need to do all that? Because we trust that God is control, is in control. It's an issue of trust. Right? If we think I can't take a nap, I can't go to sleep earlier, I can't put down my laptop or my phone, could that be an issue of trust? That you think if I don't handle this, no one will. If I don't pay attention to this, I'm not sure God will. It's an issue of trust. That we Sabbath, we sleep, we put down our electronics because we trust that we know a God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, a loving Father. And that he's got this and that he's got you. And so we can be still, we can rest, because we trust him. This morning, I don't want to just talk about this, I want to practice it. And so we're going to take a few moments to be still before God as we close. It's going to be awkward for some of you because you never do this. But I want to take a few moments where we're still. The band's going to come back up and they're going to play. And we're just going to take a few moments to be still before God to reflect on your schedule, to reflect on your priorities, to reflect on this passage. We're here to gather and worship Jesus. We're here to do what Mary was doing. 
to sit at the feet of Jesus. That's why we come this morning. That's why we set up all these things. That's why we gather on Sunday is to sit before the feet of Jesus and listen to him teach us. I hope that's why you came this morning. If it's not, then this is a time where you can fully assess that and you can listen and fix your eyes on Jesus. And so I want to take a few moments right now where we do that with one another. So be still, pray, reflect on the God of the universe, the God who came for you, who sent Jesus for you so we could come in this moment today and be still before him. Do that now. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for these men and women. I pray that you would help us in this moment to fix our eyes on you. That in the midst of distraction, in the midst of busy weeks, in the midst of a busy and stressful year maybe for some of these people, that you would help us to not miss the one necessary thing, the good portion. That's knowing you, Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came for us, who's here with us. Father, I pray that in this moment, that in the midst of stress, in the midst of sickness, in the midst of strife, that you would help us to continue just to bring those things before you, that you want us to be still before you. You want to remove those things from our lives and replace them with yourself. Help us to be aware of that. Help us to take those steps to enter into your presence this morning. Father, I pray that you would help us to do that, even as we sing, even as we respond. It's in the name of Jesus we ask that. Amen.